What great privilege in these days to have this wonderful, complete Christ brought to us. That is last Lord's Day morning we had the sermon on Christ as our priest who has come to take away our sins and to intercede forever for us. And as Pastor John brought that message, there is a, a beauty to Christ as our priest. And then next Lord's Day, Pastor Charles Hart will bring that message concerning Christ as our prophet, a complete Christ. We speak of him as the prophet, priest, and king. When I began to look at Psalm 72 as Christ as the king, it came to me as such an unusual problem. And I say that because we use here in our preaching, for the most part, the English Standard Version. And as you read through that psalm, it says, may he reign for her. May he care for the needy. May he, may he. It's a wish all the way through. And then when you open up another translation or so that we use here at Cornerstone, it speaks of that, he shall, with a certainty. And it was interesting, both translations that I speak of are what we would consider the very best of translations. So I kind of went to a, an old favorite of ours. There were some of us about 50 plus years ago that uh, there was a certain minister of the gospel whose powerful preaching grabbed hold of the hearts of so many of us before it was cool to be young, restless, and reformed. We were part of that group that were restless, that's for sure. And so we use the same translation this particular preacher had. It was the 1901 American Standard Version. And as I read through that, it had them as certainty. He shall reign. Just as we've been singing, this one shall reign. So why is there this difference? And so as I kind of went back in my mind remembered in Hebrew, and no one's really interested in these grammatical things of Hebrew, but it does have an importance here. I believe taking what we have is the Hebrew doesn't have tenses like we have in English, but it has what we call imperfect, or the completed action, perfect, or the incomplete, the imperfect. It's to us kind of strange. This, except for the first one, in this passage that's a commandment, all the rest are what we call incomplete action. It can be as a prayer that you'd have in the English Standard Version, or it can be, he shall reign as something that's future. He shall do this, he shall care for the needy. So it's not like one is right and one is wrong, but both of them, I believe, come at something from two different perspectives. When you think of David and Solomon, and even further along, when Israel had no king, it was, may this king come. May he yet care for the needy. May he reign forever. And certainly, as we've already heard this morning, it would seem like David and Solomon, both with riches and beautiful women, both got into trouble, and we wouldn't have them as the righteous king. They ain't it. There's something here of great importance in this passage. 
Now, from the perspective and the light of the New Testament, we see he shall reign forever and ever, and we sing the hymn. Who is this king that is the fulfillment of all of this? Certainly, as you read through Psalm 72, it's not cited by the New Testament, but it's a psalm that points us to this royal son, this great king of kings and lord of lords. So as we come to this, I think intermingled all through this psalm is three things that I would bring together this morning for us and ask that question, who is this king of righteousness? Who is this king of compassion? And who is this king of the ages who reigns forever? Let me read this in the old 1901 version from Psalm 72. We read, Give or endow the king your judgment, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. He will judge the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear him while the sun endureth. And so long as the moon throughout all generations, he will come down like rain upon the mown grass and as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon will be no more. And he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall render tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All the nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor that hath no helper. He will have pity on the poor and needy and the souls of the needy. He will save. He will redeem their soul from oppression and violence. And precious will their blood be in his sight. And they shall live and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba and Men shall pray for him continually. They shall bless him all the day long. They shall be, there shall be abundance of grain in the earth upon the top of the mountains. And the fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon. And they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued. Continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him, and nations shall call him happy. Blessed be Jehovah God, the God of Israel. 
who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Let us bow in prayer. Father, our prayer is, even as we have read of this great king, O Lord, write upon our minds afresh who he is. Strike our hearts as we hear your word proclaimed in such a way that we will acknowledge who is this king of righteousness, who is this king of compassion, and truly, who is the king of the ages. We ask now, Lord, for your blessing upon your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you look at that first verse, I do believe that, you know, we have kind of emphasized that there's an element all through the psalm of this shall take place, that powerful certainty that's there. But the first verse is one and the only one that is not what we would say incomplete action that's yet in the future and yet has a certain present tense to it. This first verb says, endow him, give him. And we have the one who is the righteous king, the one who makes judgments that are correct at the right time, the one who is really the great one of character of righteousness. He's given, it says, God's very righteousness. All that God would show us the king who is righteous all together. Endow him is the way I would see the importance there that his very character is that of righteousness. There's no room in his very being for adultery. There's no place in his nature for immoralities. There's no place for him to have bribes or lies. He is one who has righteousness as his very character. He is the royal son who has righteousness endowed to him, God's very righteousness. There is that emphasis in such a way that he is the king of righteousness. Who is that one great king of righteousness? Psalm one says, he delights in the law of Jehovah. He delights in his law. He meditates on that law all day long. This king is really the one who is Psalm 1 king. He is the one who, his very being, delights in doing the will of God constantly. Who is that king? And then as we continue to read through the psalm, intermingled there, you have in verses 4, 6, and 7 something of his tenderness, his compassion. He is this king of compassion. Verse 4, he will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. Verse 6, we have those words, he will, he will be like rain falling on the mown field like showers watering the earth. In his days the righteous will flourish. Prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. There's justice for the needy. 
there is a caring element about him, whether it be that of mental suffering, depression that is very real that the needy have with all their pains and hurts and failures and sins and all their own faults. There's one who has a tenderness for them, one who is interested in the downtrodden, one who is interested in those who are at the bottom of the heap. Most kings couldn't care less. Or maybe we should say that's the very element of those who are the defenseless ones. This king cares for them, even for those who do not have their own voice, those who are the unborn. He cares for them. And then we have that element of the word prosperity in the different translations. It's really translating the word from Hebrew, shalom, that there's this real full shalom, peace that he brings to the needy. He's compassionate to those who are helpless, those who have been violated, those who have experienced violence. He brings shalom to them. Solomon, it said, his yoke was heavy upon the people. Service under him became something that was of misery. Who is this king, though, of compassion? He is one who can say, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and weary. Take my yoke upon you. It is easy. It is light. This is a king who can really call people to service that is a joy, that is enjoyable. He is the king of compassion, consoles a mourning people. He is one who can take interest in those who would seem to be in this world so insignificant. He can heal and really care for with tones of compassion. One of the experiences in my own life was just uh, five days after I was born, my mother had a stroke that I always remember her being paralyzed on this right side. And as a little boy, I have the memories of being there different times with that withered hand. Now, most people, when you say a withered hand, what do we even mean by a, a withered hand? And I can remember how, uh, as a little boy, I would pry that open. You know, each one of those fingers, it was like you couldn't get it open w without real strength. And each one of those to open that up and to work through all that was there to heal a withered hand. Is there one king who would actually heal someone with a withered hand that would be insignificant, that really wouldn't be important in the scheme of this world? Is there a king that we could say has compassion? Not because he's trying to get your votes. No, he's like the king from Psalm 2 when God says, I have installed my king, my holy king, on that holy hill. He's not put there by his getting our votes in some way. He has already taken his place as the king. He is the king of glory. The book of Daniel speaks of one king who was to ascend on the clouds 
and come into the presence of the Ancient of Days. And he was being seated on a throne. This is the king that's being spoken of, who is a king of compassion, who really does care for people as one who has that compassion not to get our votes because he already is king, but by his compassion, he wins us. He loves us. He cares for us. He is compassionate so that he really does come to us and care for us in all these things. He has pity on the weak, as verse 12 says. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. He stoops to care for those who are in need. I ask, who among all the kings of the earth? You know, I remember being in England not too long ago, and, and the person who was telling us uh, about some of the sights and things, they gave us by memory, from memory, the, a list of all the kings of England. And others, I'm sure, could have probably given it from the Scottish side of things, the list of kings in order. But there's none of them. None of them that would be as a king to heal one with a withered hand and have such compassion. Or we might think of our wonderful nation that we love, the United States of America, some 45 different presidents in 46 different presidencies, but there's not one of them who could heal with that compassion. Who is this king of compassion. And then I have the question, as you read through this psalm, it's so important for us to grab hold of, who is this king forever? The king of the ages. The one who really does reign forever. As you look at this psalm, psalm has before us, for instance, verse 8. It has this word with great clarity. It says, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. There's something amazing here as you read on. And there's this rule, reign. Now, when we think of this, there's a certainty about it. In fact, I, maybe uh, some one of you speak another language. You could think of the word certainty in your language to me, certainty in Spanish has this certeza. There's something of certainty. He shall reign forever and ever. And I believe that's what the psalm is saying to us. It's not just may he, but it's with an announcement. Good news. He shall reign forever and ever. It's, yes, a prayer, but it's more than a prayer. There's something here of greatness beyond the grandeur and greatness of David and Solomon and all the kings of the earth. He shall reign forever. Verses 8 through 11 speaks of his rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth and how David's blessing was to be upon those of his own seed. It was to be one who would be upon his throne forever. His rule was one of defending and protecting. You remember all the way back to when that 
ancient serpent came and with his evil ways of dissecting the word of God and they came that whore of sin itself that's infected the whole of creation. But there was a curse put upon the evil one, that serpent, that Satan, and his seed forever. And it has that element, you will eat dust all the days of your life. And certainly, certainly we have this element in this passage here where it speaks of, of one who would crush the oppressor and they of the oppressor would eat, lick the dust. And there is a king who will come, yes, to reign forever and he will bring down the evil one and cause him, yes, destruction. Who is this king? Now, often we think of a king, and we don't have too much of a knowledge of that. Maybe some of our friends could give us a little more knowledge of what a king is like, but we regularly vote for someone to be our president, and then if our guy didn't get elected, the rest of them are bad people, and then if our guy gets elected, somehow or other we have it's all good, but we know that it's a mess. There isn't a king of righteousness that's been on a throne anywhere in this country or any other nation. And this king is spoken of as one who will have his rule with worship. Kings will come and worship him. What an amazing thing. He will win them and they will come to him. And it speaks of their bringing to him gifts. It speaks of one king who was so amazing it speaks of even those tribal kings of the desert who are the most independent kings you can imagine. Nomads. They will come and worship. Who is this king who in an amazing way is like the king of Psalm 2 verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Yes, desert tribes do come and worship. He is the forever king. We pray the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a present tense to it, and yet we know there's yet to be a greater fulfillment of this king. Who is this king? Of righteousness? Who is this king of compassion? Who is this king that will reign forever? He is not in a manger now. He's not an infant. He's not walking on this earth. He is not on a cross as some would still try to depict him. He is not in the tomb. He is risen. He has ascended to the Father's right hand. He is the one who has a name above every name. Who is he? I've not mentioned his name. But I think you can mention his name. You know who it is. You don't have to have a degree in a PhD in, in Hebrew or Greek or theological studies. You know who he is. We could go around and Aaron knows who he is. Where is Aaron? He could tell us. All of you could tell us. Who is he? 
Can you tell me? Loud and clear, who is he? And he is the one who has a name above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. He is this great, glorious king. And just let me say that God calls us all to this one king. There is no other. Beware when you put your confidence in presidents, kings, or whoever it may be. There is only one who is without immoralities, without adultery, without lies, without bribes, or whatever it may be in this world. Jesus. And he is the one in whom we find shalom, salvation. There's only one. There's only one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Jesus, the King. Secondly, to know that it's the power of that name, that announcement, that gospel, that good news, that glorious work of Jesus Christ as priest. And yes, his word coming to us as prophet, he is the King of glory. There's a history. He is the king of glory, but he's also the royal son. Both of those things come together in Jesus the Christ. I can't think of the power of his name in my own experience without what I probably related to some of you more than once. As you get a little older, you relate the same stories sometimes and I'm glad John is smiling. But I, I can't help but think of the power of Jesus Christ in this world today. We think of what's happening in Israel and the horror of the Gaza Strip and what took place a month, six weeks ago, and the horror of all of this. It's beyond our imagination, the hatred, hatred that people have. Or we think of what's been going on in Ukraine and all that's there. How can there be peace, shalom? We had the beautiful experience of being in Israel um, first time in 1995 and uh, we had the time of preaching on husband-wife relationships there in Haifa. It's a uh, conference ground built by German Christians for Jewish Christians. There might be something there in the history of that that says something about the power of Jesus' name. As I was preaching, it was really the first night. It was the beginning of Shabbat, Friday night. And as I was preaching, as some of you might remember telling, when I tell this, it's really quite a thing to, to uh, preach there in English. And Baruch is at my side putting it into Hebrew. And then someone else is hearing Baruch in Hebrew, and they're translating it into Arabic from Hebrew, and then someone else is taking up that. I don't know where it's all being said out loud at the same time, and they're translating it into Russian. And then it's my turn again. <laughs> and to try to follow all this is just a little bit difficult, I think, not only for me, but for everybody. And about as the sermon began and we were coming along, 
two busloads arrived of Palestinian Christians from the north of Galilee. They came in and there were places kind of left for them all through the conference there. And they were all seated in different places, not as a group, but they were all about that whole congregation. And as I kept trying to preach, I noticed that there was a quiet weeping that was going on among the congregation. And I never can forget it. I couldn't understand. What I was saying couldn't have had that much impact between the English and the Hebrew and the Arabic and the Russian and then, wow. So as soon as we got done with the last hymn, I turned to Baruch and I said, what's happening? And he said, it happens every time. They come in and they're placed all around the congregation. And they know this is the only place in Israel where Palestinians and Jews hug each other when it's over. It's the power of the gospel. Jesus, that gospel is powerful to bring people together to love one another, whether it be in our own families or in nations. This is the one thing. You can pass a thousand laws. You can have new agreements. You can have new boundary lines unless there's that wonder of wonders. Christ, Jesus, the Lord. He is the one who makes new hearts, makes new people, transforms nations, yes, transforms hearts as hard as our own. Unforgiving people forgive because they've experienced the forgiveness of God. They've been forgiven billions, and now they can forgive sins to one another. So all hail the power of Jesus' name. That's what it's all about. It's powerful, this name. We have that hymn by Edward Peronet that I believe is a great hymn, almost like a national anthem for us as Christians. There is something so powerful about this hymn. And I remember uh, reading long ago the story of Charles Spurgeon as a 20-year-old young guy preaching in Exeter Hall in the heart of London, 1855. Again, he's 20 years old. He's not even married yet. And he's pounding forth this gospel message from Psalm 72, his title was The Eternal Name. And he speaks there of this moment when he says, he depicts really what would become of the world if the name of Jesus could be removed from it. And he says, I would have no wish to be here without my Lord. And if the gospel be not true, I would bless God to annihilate me this instant, for I would not care to live if you could destroy the name of Jesus. And then it was many years later that his wife, Susanna Spurgeon, remembered that night, and she wrote this. I remember with strange vividness at this long distance of time, the Sunday evening when he preached from the text, his name shall endure forever. It was a subject in which he reveled, and it was his chief delight to exalt his glorious Savior. And he seemed in that discourse to be pouring out his very soul and life in homage and adoration before his gracious king. 
but I really thought he would have died there in face of all those people. And at the end of the sermon, he made a mighty effort to recover his voice, but utterance well nigh failed, and only in broken accents could he scarcely be heard. Let my name perish, but let Christ's name last forever. Jesus, 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 crown him Lord of all. You will not hear me say anything else. These are my last words in Exeter Hall for this time. Jesus, 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 crown him Lord of all. And Susanna says he fell back in a chair, almost passing out. Again, it's hard for us to picture all of this because here, you know, we have, uh, you know, two or three hundred people and we have to have a microphone and a sound system and put it all together. They were preaching to four or five thousand people without any sound system. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hail him, Lord of all. Crown him, Lord of all. I want to sing this morning, this Christmas 2023, that hymn. What a joy. Hail, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him. Crown him. Crown him, Lord of all. Not that we make him king. He already is king. But we acknowledge his kingship as Lord of all. Jesus. 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 Yes, sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. That's What's the center of it all? We have that great privilege to crown him Lord of our lives. What we eat, what we drink, how we work, how we treat each other, how we forgive each other, how we enjoy each other, how we live daily under the kingship of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you that Jesus is the king of righteousness. That he is that one who has come to us as the king of compassion. And we bow and worship him this morning. We ask, O oh Lord, that you'd strike our hearts afresh with who he is. And that we can truly say, he is our king. And we ask, Lord, that you'd give us voices now to sing this great hymn. All hail the power of Jesus' name. And may we be those who truly do worship him this morning. May Jesus Christ be praised as we sing. In whose name we pray.